You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hi and welcome to our Market Talk and Brexit Update special podcast on preparing for Brexit. I'm Gavin O'Carroll representing AIB Treasury and this is the first of a series of podcasts that complements our countrywide business customer workshops which were hosted by AIB in conjunction with BDO over the number of weeks from September through October 2019. Today we were discussing Irish trade with the UK post-Brexit and attempt to answer the crucial questions affecting all importers and exporters across the island of Ireland. We are thrilled to welcome Carol Lynch, partner with BDO, specialising in customs and international trade. Hi, Carol. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Gavin. It's nice to be here. Okay, Carol. We've a lot to cover on the customs challenge, and it's the crucial piece on how customers can be prepared for Brexit. We will assume the UK is leaving the EU, but for the purpose of this podcast, we want to focus on the implications for business customers of a no-deal, hard Brexit scenario. So, Carol, what would happen next once the UK leaves the EU? Okay, so once the UK leaves the EU, effectively they become a non-EU country, necessarily by the fact that they've actually left. And when you're trading with a non-EU country, that means that you have a certain number of obligations. You must import goods and prepare declarations and submit them to the customs authorities. You must um, prepare your compliance requirements in terms of, you know, for example, agricultural requirements. Um, You must pay customs duties if there's no free trade agreement. And you have to prepare that you are going to be delayed to some extent through the ports. And you're not really sure. You have to build in that little bit of extra time for the movement of goods from your supplier to you or from you to your supplier. And I suppose in all of the actual preparations for Brexit, a lot of the actual narrative has been around customers that know they have direct potential threats to their import exports uh, supply chains. But actually, in many cases, Irish customers have used the land bridge of the UK. And I remember one of the first slides you put up in front of us all as we went around the country was the four ports where there would be customs controls, for example, if a customer was using the land yeah. bridge. If you're selling your goods into mainland Europe and you, and you do have to remember that you're going through the UK. So any movement outside of Europe into the UK um, becomes a non-EU movement. So we have to take account of that. So if you're selling your goods into mainland Europe, 80% of our products which are sold to mainland Europe would go through the UK land bridge. Now that means that we have an export out of Ireland, an import into the UK, an export out of the UK and an import into mainland Europe and similarly on reverse. So what you need to make sure of is that you aren't getting good at hit with customs duties on entering the UK market and then again on entering the European market. So to prevent that, you get involved in what's called a transit system, which means that the goods essentially kind of float through the UK under customs control. But your hauliers need to have a guarantee. You need to be linked into what's called the NCTS system and lodge your declarations and have them in the cab so that they can be checked by HMRC in the UK. So it's quite a lot, again, paperwork and preparation to ensure that the goods move as smoothly as possible. And I suppose in listening to you again there, it comes down to time and the effort it takes for companies to be prepared for that process, notwithstanding the costs of of getting up to speed in this process as well. In your opinion, what are the key Ireland impacts? Um, For Ireland, our our problem is, I suppose, that we are a country on the other side of the UK. So no matter what way we move goods, we're either going through the UK, to the UK or around the UK. But it's Mm -hmm. always there as part of our trading block. So for Ireland, the first thing is going to be the number of declarations that are required. If we look at the moment, there's about 1.6 million customs declarations lodged with the Irish Revenue Authorities. 
they revenue have estimated that's going to increase to 20 million. So that's a massive jump in the number of Say companies. Say that again. 1. So 1.6 million. million now to 20 million post-Brexit. That is, when you think of the number of companies that's now going to hit and the number of declarations, we're talking about a massive jump in the paperwork requirement. We're also looking at moving from probably you know less than a thousand companies who trade internationally to 90 an additional 92,000 traders who are going to be trading internationally because that's mm. what Britain's going to be going forward so the whole scope of how we move our goods how we trade how we buy how we sell is going to really impact on pretty much every Irish company and on the Irish revenue and on the government okay so in your opinion Carol what are the key opening challenges then at the ports after whatever form of Brexit takes I would think the very first thing I've consistently said is to ensure that your paperwork is right and it sounds very kind of tedious in many ways but you simply will not get your goods through customs if the paperwork isn't correct so you need to make sure that you understand customs you understand what an import declaration is what an export declaration is both here and in for example the UK if you're selling into the UK um, how to complete that, how to get your tariff classifications right, how to instruct your hauliers. Um, you know, you've got some basic steps like when you put goods on a boat and they leave the UK, you won't know till 20 minutes outside Dublin Port if those goods are going to be customs cleared or if you have to present the goods to customs. How are you going to get that information to the driver if it's an accompanied shipment? You know, the Wi-Fi isn't great on the boat. So we're getting down to that operational level of detail to ensure that you have every single step covered from the point that the goods leave your factory to the point that they arrive at your customer's doorstep. Okay, so, I mean, one of the key things for me, again, when we were at your presentations, it was what were your client typical questions that you were hearing for many months now up to this point? Okay, generally, one of the main questions is what's the customs duty impact? And that will really depend on the industry you're in. So if you're importing from the UK into Ireland post-Brexit and there's no free trade agreement, you could be paying you know less than 5%. But then if you're in the agricultural or food area, you could be up to 20 to 40 percent. Retail and clothing would be around 12 percent. So it all very much depends on the industry you're in. And in order to find out what that rate is going to be, you have to, again, spend some time classifying your goods. If you have two or three products, that's not going to take you that long. But if you have yeah. 6,000, that's going to be a lot to work through. So tariff classifications and duty rates is, is usually the first thing a company will ask me about. How much is this going to cost me at a duty level? And you've also got to remember that customs duties are a European tax. They're remitted to Brussels, so we don't have any negotiation at an Irish level on them. And they're a direct hit to the bottom line. So you're not getting that money back. It's not like that. It's not recoverable. It's, it's once it's gone, it's gone. Mm. So that's always the first impact. Um, the second thing people get a little bit confused on sometimes is the, I suppose, how easy it will be to trade with the UK if we have a free trade agreement. So I often get asked, OK, well, if we've got a free trade agreement, then everything goes away. There's no problem then, is there? And that's unfortunately just not the case. So with a free trade agreement, which is ultimately our you know, likely landing zone with the, with the UK, what happens is um, you can import to the UK, export from the UK, trade with the UK, probably under a 0% customs duty regime. But you have to prove that your goods qualify as originating, so it's an extra layer of paperwork. You still have to lodge your export declarations and your import declarations. And if you're a company with a very global supply chain, you might not qualify as originating because that's really for things which would be manufactured to a large extent in the EU or in the UK or have at least 60% of the manufacturing cost um, will be concluded in the EU. So it's very important to remember a free trade agreement isn't the be all and end all. It, it does mean that you won't pay tariffs, but it doesn't mean that you don't have compliance requirements. And then we get into the question of compliance. People then say, well, well what 
are compliance requirements, how much are they going to cost? And when you start adding up the cost of making declarations, they can often be as expensive as the duties. So if you look at, you know, you're moving your goods through the port, you have two options. You can either lodge the declaration in-house yourself, which means getting trained staff and having them available, or you can employ a clearance agent to lodge them on your behalf. If you're employing a clearance agent, you're probably talking around 50, 60 euros a declaration um, for an import into Ireland, another probably 30, 40 pounds in the UK. So if you're responsible for the full supply chain, let's say that's a reasonable estimate of 100 euros, which doesn't sound that much. But if you add 100 euros for every single shipment and every single sale, every single day, every single month, this starts to build up. up. Mm. Um, So you really have to look at the compliance costs and work out what is the most effective way of managing them. Is it to get someone and pay them on an outsourced basis? Is it to bring someone in-house and, and you train them up? Which is the best option? But unfortunately, again, it's a cost that isn't going to go away. Okay, so there's a part two to this particular podcast and we cover the finance side to preparing for Brexit and also that includes the foreign exchange piece. But just back to Carol's point there in terms of costs that businesses are hearing now for the first time potentially uh, in terms of getting compliant, getting in line with all the customs requirements and paperwork and so on. That will be, I suppose, something that's key in terms of how a company would look to a bank in terms of potential cash flow requirements, working capital facilities and maybe even term debt in terms of investing in their own future to potentially prepare and be ready Absolutely. for this. So that when the very first kind of obvious thing you're going to talk to your bank about really is a deferred payment account. So if you import goods, you're paying your customs duties at the point of arrival for every single shipment. Your alternative option is to get a deferred payment authorization from the revenue, which means you have basically a credit account and you're paying in one lump sum the next month. So everything I would import, say, in January, I'll pay on the 5th of February. Um, but to do that, you need to get a guarantee from your bank. So you need to work out what the guarantee level is going to be. And in that way, you tend to look at your customs duty liability multiplied by two, and then that's going to be your um, your guarantee amount. But you also may need a guarantee to cover various temporary suspension procedures. So if you import goods for manufacturing and re-export, you can avail of a duty suspension from the revenue where you don't pay any customs duties on import on the basis you can prove those goods are re-exported. Again, you need a guarantee behind you to cover that. If you want to store goods in a bonded warehouse, you need a guarantee. And going back to our transit arrangement as well, either you or your haulier will have to have a a guarantee. So you really need to work out what is the cost of that guarantee and how high does it need to be. Okay, Carol, so great to hear in terms of the client's typical questions. Now, I suppose, having worked on this as a firm, BDO, Carol, you've managed to go and put down a nine-step process in terms of preparing customers' uh, businesses for Brexit. Let's go straight to those points, the clear steps for being customs Brexit ready. Yeah, what we've tried to do in BDO is actually um, put down in very simple language, what are the basic steps you need to take to ensure you can effectively move your goods through customs? Really essentially get your goods out of the country, get your goods into the country post-Brexit. So the very first thing is to get a customs registration. You can't import into Europe or export out of Europe. And similarly, it'll be the same in the UK without a customs registration, which is called an EORI or EORI number. Very straightforward, very simple to get. You just go online to revenue to your raw system and request it. That's simply all there is to it. And you've got it in five minutes. It might take about four or five days in the UK because, you know, they have a lot more companies to deal with. But again, very straightforward, very simple. We will not be able to import or export without that registration. So that's the very first step. 
The next thing I, I kind of advise people to do is look and see how are you paying your import duties? Do you really want to pay them for every single time you import on every single shipment? Or do you want to look at a deferred payment account, which is much better? To do that, you need to go talk to your bank, you need to talk to the revenue. It takes a minimum of 30 days. So you need to be putting, you know, looking at that and, and putting that in place. Thirdly, your tariff classifications. Again, this goal goes back to very much what you absolutely must do. When you lodge a declaration, you must have a tariff classification on that declaration. If it's an import, that'll determine the import duty rate. If it's an export, it could also determine security requirements. That must be correct. There is there's just no choice. And that's going to take a lot of time if you have a lot of SKUs or a lot of part numbers. So you really need to, again, allocate that to a project team. As I mentioned on the clearance agent side, um, you need to work out how are your declarations being lodged with the authorities. Are you doing it yourself? In which case you need to look at your staffing or potentially hire new staff or go on training courses. Are you looking at employing a clearance agent? In which case you need to actually find a clearance agent and we're very short of them. Will your freight forwarder do it for you or haulier do it for you? And I always say is go talk to the people you've worked with before and see if they can provide the service for you. Next, you need to look at literally the, the trucks getting on and off the boats. And if we talk about most of our movements of goods between Ireland and the UK take place through the boats, you know, through the ferries. So you've got your, your trucks, they're either unaccompanied or they're accompanied. But what happens when those trucks arrive at the port? What happens when they arrive at customs? So you need to talk to your hauliers and make sure they're very clear about what the trucks have to do, what the drivers have to do, what customs authorities they have to go to present the goods to, what paperwork needs to be in the cab. So again, very, very basic details, but you can't get through the customs. You won't get on the boat without the actually correct paperwork, which really essentially goes down to, as I said, keep saying the paperwork being the most important thing. You need to know if you're VAT registered. Um, Presume that, say, an Irish company is going to be VAT registered in Ireland. But if you're selling goods on a delivered basis into the UK, so let's say you have a customer and they, up to now, you've been delivering to them, the goods arrive at, say, three o'clock on a Monday and they don't, you know, notice anything more about it. And they will be expecting that you continue to deliver that way. Now you need to look and see, do you need to be VAT registered in the UK? That's going to take a couple of months. It's not a straightforward process. You need to look at being established. If you want to take advantage of customs procedures, do you have a legal entity that can do that? And if you're looking for it to uh, to take advantage of customs procedures and make applications to customs, that's going to take three months. So again, you keep building up your time frame in terms of what you must do at each stage to ensure either that you simply can move your goods or that you can take advantage of any customs duties, savings that are there. And then you're also looking finally at do you have agricultural goods, in which case you're going to need to be registered with the Department of Agriculture. You may need to give them 24 hours notice of the movement of goods. You're going to have to lodge your paperwork again with the veterinary division. You're going to have to enter details onto what's called the traces system, potentially. So a lot of extra controls in the food and agri area. And <laughs> as well as the last thing, um, and this is what people always often come in and ask me you know, this first, and I really always say it's the absolute last thing, is the AEO trusted trader status. A very, very good status to get, good kite mark. It will get your goods through customs much quicker. You will get your advantage of customs procedures much quicker. You won't have to have large guarantees in a lot of cases, but you really are not going to get a customs AEO status unless you've put about a year's work into it. It's not the first thing then, therefore, for companies to look at. It's something that got profiled earlier on in the summer of 2019, if memory serves me. But as you said at all the events with us, yeah. that's that's not the first it's, thing you go it's for. It's the absolute last thing you go for. You must have all your customs procedures in place. Revenue will thoroughly audit your customs procedures, your IT systems, your security controls. So there is literally no point going for that unless 
my my experience is that a company takes at least six months to prepare for an AEO application and probably about another six months to get through the whole process. So it's not something that you're going to have in place today or tomorrow. That is a strategic plan. Okay, Carol. I mean, it's effectively, uh, we're going to have links to all of these preparations on the actual podcast as well. We've also got the part two to the actual podcast in terms of the finance piece, because you can see how critically both the customs finance and foreign exchange piece is to any small business, business customer dealing with yeah. the actual consequences of having to trade internationally with the UK next door or near, nearest yeah. and dearest. Something that resonated with us, Carol, when you were speaking across the country as well. It is that basic in terms of the simple challenges that a company faces. If a lorry is sitting at a customs port and it's either not got the paperwork correct, as you've said, or even language delays yeah. with regards to drivers or the driver in front doesn't have Absolutely. the paperwork it suddenly then becomes a major timing problem. And every single, you know, every if you think of all those trucks coming off the boat at the moment, they just come off, they go onto the um, motorway, no problem. Now each one potentially could have a delay of two or three minutes and add that up for every single truck coming off the boat and you're in a long delay. So the only way you can minimise your risk is to be prepared, have your paperwork right, have done everything yourself. You still can't guarantee that the person in front of you has. So Carol, I'm putting myself in the shoes of a business customer listening to you and I really haven't got things done I haven't actually realized the implications from the customer side as to what I need to do as an importer or exporter using the UK land bridge either indirectly or not if you just take us back to the actual steps quickly in terms of how could I get going quickly to get this on the road okay if you've done absolutely nothing then the first thing is to get your EORI number so it's a five minute job but you simply will not import or export or deal with a clearance agent or anyone if you don't have that customs registration so do that now you'll have it done in 10 minutes that's step, step one, one done. done. The next thing I'd probably do is find out about clearance. See if you've imported or exported outside of the EU before, go back to your freight forwarder. They will have acted on your behalf and they may do so again. Secondly, to call your hauliers. Check with them. Can they do the paperwork for you? Now, even if they can, they are still going to ask you to give them certain data and particularly they're going to ask for tariff classifications. So you really need to do that next. Look at your products and identify and determine what the tariff classifications are and then look at how you're selling and do you need to be VAT registered I'd say to be honest if you're doing three critical steps say this afternoon for example that would be the three critical steps I would focus on Okay and I suppose the other mention you gave was the deferred payment account uh, you need to get the bank on board but in the interim you could pay You can pay by cash By cash Exactly it's not, it's, not, it's not very effective it's not the best way of doing things but you can still pay by cash so it's not going to stop you importing the other things will In terms of our uh, part two to this podcast that's one of the critical messages we understand we, we actually are encouraging every customer on the business side that needs to look at this to get in contact with the bank as soon as possible. So message really has been for the customs and the finance piece to getting ready for Brexit as an import-exporting customer. Get on top of this as fast as you possibly yeah, can. absolutely. And I think the really important message at this point is this is happening. Whether it's happening, you know, next month, next year, whenever, this is happening. We can't avoid it any longer. Okay, so as I said, we're going to have uh, Carol's BDO preparing your business for Brexit, nine-step process on the customs side and her experience and the value she's brought in terms of bringing our customers through the challenges over the last number of weeks and, and, and even now over the, the, this winter stretch. It's been phenomenal. Thank you, Carol, indeed, for your contribution. Uh, for more detailed information on this customs discussion today, please see details and links attached for supports for customers in the Brexit Ready Planning.
Carol, thanks sincerely for joining us. That's Carol Lynch, partner with BDO for Customs and International Trade with her very important steps for getting Brexit ready for both import and export customers. Please do join us for part two of this special Preparing for Brexit podcast series covering the finance side for customers, including the foreign exchange piece. Check back for our latest podcast by pressing the subscribe button to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. Speak with you soon. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.